Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. If you've got 90 minutes, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversations with my broadcast partners all across the world. And today, I literally mean all across the world. We go to Ken Timmerman. He's in Sweden. We'll talk to him in just a moment. Winky Madad in Israel. And then we do have some of our broadcast partners here in the United States as well. I'm in Mullins, South Carolina in Temporary Studios all day Sunday and then Monday evening at the First Baptist Church here in Mullins, South Carolina. Hope you can come and join us if you're in the listening area. Well, the government of Israel may be coming together. There is a coalition, a Duke's mixture that has been formed to have a government in place in the state of Israel. We'll go to Winky Madad on that in a moment. But let's go to Ken Timmerman in Sweden. Ken, I cannot keep track of you, buddy. One day here, next day there in Sweden. Is it for a family or are you there on business? Jimmy, I'm here writing books as I normally do in the summertime and soon we'll be going to France as well. That's the little teaser that we get from Ken to that announcement that we'll have from Ken. But let's get to geopolitical activities right now, Ken. Coming out of China, the state media there urging preparations for a nuclear war with the United States. And then another story, China threatening the United States with intense nuclear showdown. Boy, this is coming out of the old Cold War, heating up pretty hot there, is it not, Ken? Well, it is, Jimmy, and uh, it's something that really we should not be surprised about. Uh, the Chinese government is testing the new president in the United States. They think he's a pushover, and they're going to push. Now, you know, we've spoken many times on this program about China's nuclear weapons arsenal. It is quite likely much bigger than the official numbers of three to 400 that they have declared to international organizations. Some sources believe they already have as many as 3,000 nuclear weapons. Now, I would be getting close to a par with the United States. And what they're saying here, and this is the past week, we have a, an official statement, if you wish, from the editor of a major state-run Chinese newspaper, the Global Times. You know, remember, China is a totalitarian country. So this guy is not like the editor of the Washington Post or the New York Times. He actually speaks directly for the government instead of you know, parenthetically for the government. He is a government official stating government policy. And he uh, put out an editorial this past week talking about China building up its strategic deterrence against the United States and preparing for this intense showdown between China and the U.S. So the Chinese have a new series, a new generation of nuclear weapons. They have something called the Dongfeng-41, the DF-41, which is a long-range ICPM capable of reaching the United States. And they also have a new generation of submarine launched missiles. Now, what we don't know, the, all of these missiles appear to be multiple warheads. They could have 8 to 10 warheads. So if they've got 12 missile launchers on a submarine with 10 warheads, each submarine has got 120 warheads on it right there. Uh, that's enough to take out every major city in the United States. 
pretty important statements made by China that the United States must be paying attention to. Do you believe that the Biden administration is up to dealing with these threats, Ken? Well, uh, look, so far, uh, I will give Tony Blinken some credit. Most of us who have been observing this closely thought that the money that he had taken from communist China uh, at the Carnegie Institute over the past four to five years would have turned his head. Apparently not. He has been, at least rhetorically, at least in speech, relatively tough towards China. But remember, the president is another uh, matter entirely, and Joe Biden was literally on the Chinese payroll for a number of years. So I am quite worried that this administration will not ultimately hang tough with China, which is what it absolutely needs to do. If you're a regular listener to Prophecy Today in my conversations with my broadcast partners, you may have heard the term jihad, an Arabic term which means holy war, And that was the beginning of a headline I saw this week. I want you to talk about it, Ken. Jihad has been waged right here in the United States, and America did not even realize what was going on. Explain this to us. Well, jihad, Jimmy, is an obligation on all faithful Muslims, and it comes out of the Quran. And the obligation is to spread Islam throughout the world, first through peaceful means where it is possible to do so, and where it's not possible to do so, through violence. And those who do not accept Islam, ultimately, again, given the success of Islam, uh, when they come to a country and they win control, those who do not accept Islam are given the choice to convert, they refuse that, then they can pay the jizya, which is to become second-class citizens, or they will be put to the sword. That's what jihad is all about. And what Dr. Mordecai Kedar, who's one of Israel's really best experts on the Islamic mindset and on Islamic ideology, I've met him a number of years ago. He's a quite impressive man. I'm sure you know him as well, Jimmy. Dr. Kedar said that what's been happening in the past couple of weeks in the United States with these riots killing Jews, these anti-Semitic attacks in America, had nothing to do with Palestine, so-called Palestine, had nothing to do with Hamas. It had to do with Islamic jihad, with jihad against Jews and jihad against non-Muslims. We are witnessing jihad in the streets of the United States, is what Dr. Kedar said. These are not political demonstrations that are killing Jews. These are not political attacks against synagogues. They are jihadi attacks, as called for by the Koran. And it is something that we in America must pay attention to. It's only going to intensify the closer we get to the time of the rapture of the church. Well, Ken, let's go to Iran. You know, Iraq is a war-torn country, once led by Saddam Hussein, but when he was taken out, Iran became a real threat to Iraq, and that thus then makes him a threat to the United States. Explain that for us. Well, Jimmy, what's been going on really since 2003, bit by bit, slowly, the Iranians have been building their influence inside Iraq. And what they did in the first phase of this, really, was to plant officials, to take over government ministries by planting the number three person in every ministry. I'll give you an example. The economics ministry, the number three person is in charge of personnel, and he happens to be an Iranian. In the finance minister, same thing. An Iranian controls all the personnel decisions. 
And it's that way in just about every government ministry in Iraq today. So the hiring and firing decisions are made by Iranians, and guess who they happen to choose to put in positions of influence and power? Other Iranians or Iraqis who are favorable to Iran. Now it's gone beyond that. We've spoken many times on the show about the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. They took part in the war against ISIS in 2017 in particular. Those militias are now very powerful on the ground. And a recent report from the National Director of Intelligence, the new National Director of Intelligence, warned about this threat from Iran to the greater region of the Middle East through their Iraqi base. They now have military bases inside Iraq equipped with missiles, equipped with drones. They're able to provide a um, strategic depth to the uh, militia groups in Syria that are on Israel's border, and they do this in Iraq itself. So Iraq has now become a new base for Iran where they can also use strategic doubt. So it will be hard for us to attribute attacks coming from some of these groups to Iran. They're using proxies and cut out. So I think that's what we're really looking at. We're looking at Iran expanding its influence, turning Iraq into another Lebanon. And speaking of proxies, Hamas would be a proxy of the Iranian Islamic Republic. Right now, they are rearming Hamas with thousands of new rockets, making ready to attack the Jewish state of Israel once again. Update us on this, please. Well, that's right, Jimmy. And, you know, I said last week that uh, Iran is willing to fight Israel to the blood of the last Palestinian. Now that the Palestinians have signed up for a ceasefire, they've had enough bloodletting for the time being. The Iranians are back in there. You have General uh, Hossein Salami, the commander of the Revolutionary Guard, saying Sunday that the latest war with Israel showed how the Hamas arsenal from Iran is more powerful than ever before, and they're going to rebuild it. Whatever was destroyed by Israel, the Iranians are now going to rebuild in preparation for the next round of bloodletting. A year, two years, three years, who knows? But again, the Iranians will battle Israel to the blood of the last Palestinian, to the blood of the last Lebanese. Talk to me about the Iranian presidential election upcoming this month. It does make a difference, does it not? Well, we call it the presidential selection because all of the candidates have been chosen by the Guardian Council. This is a hand-picked group uh, picked by the Supreme Leader. Nobody who opposes the regime is allowed to run. And they have pretty much at this point uh, made it clear, the, the ruling elite, that they want uh, Mohammad Raisi, who's now the head of the judiciary, a cleric, to become the president. Uh, most freedom-loving Iranians, people who have voted in previous elections, for reformist candidates or more pro-Western candidates. They're talking of boycotting him. So the real thing to watch in this uh, election later on this month is the turnout. Uh, if they get 40%, 50% turnout, it will be a success for the regime. If the turnout is down in the 30s, it'll show that people have really revolted against these hand-picked candidates. We'll stay on top of those Iranian presidential elections with Ken Timmerman. Though he may be out and around this world in Sweden as we talk to him today, he still has his ear to the ground and eyes open as to what is happening geopolitically in our world so he can give us an analysis of what it all does mean. Ken, appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's going to give us a Middle East news update. 
It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. You know, Jerusalem, according to Ezekiel 5.5, is the center of the earth. When you look at other locations in God's prophetic word, where it refers to the city of Jerusalem, you'll see it's the location where God has selected to dwell among his people forever. That's Psalm 132. And the location where Jesus will return to build his temple and rule and reign from that temple forever. That's Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. May I suggest you might want to get a copy of my five-hour audio series entitled simply Jerusalem. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to the Prophecy Bookstore and make your purchase of my five-hour audio series entitled Jerusalem. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here in Mullins, South Carolina, temporary studios set up so that we could do Prophecy Today weekend. We're talking with our broadcast partners around the world, getting details behind the headlines in the news so that you can understand what is going on in our world. Current events basically setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And as promised, we go to David Dolan, longtime journalist in the Middle East. David, a coalition government supposedly, I mean, it has to be approved by the Knesset yet, but it's the most unlikely coalition that's ever been in the state of Israel in its short history as a young nation among the nations of the world. Talk to us briefly about this new coalition government. Well, Jimmy, yes, it's a very unlikely uh, knitting together of eight parties. That's a record, I believe, in any government to begin with. And as you say, they stretch from the very left-wing merits party, basically a socialist party, to the new prime minister's seven-seat party. And that's also very unusual to have a, a prime minister from such a small party uh, Naftali Bennett, who is a Orthodox kippah-wearing Jew, very conservative politically, very strong in opposition to the Iranian nuclear deal being reenacted and that sort of thing, and then a bunch of parties in the middle. So it's a very odd grouping, and 
It only has a one-seat majority if, in fact, they all stay on board. As you say, the vote hasn't been taken yet to approve this of one seat. So it's a 61-seat majority. Prime Minister Netanyahu will, of course, leave office as prime minister, but will be the opposition leader, will be very much on the stage. And, of course, he has by far the largest party in the Knesset with the 30 seats, uh, the second largest Yair Lapid's party with, I think, 17 seats. So uh, it's very, very strange. Uh, whether it can hold together is anybody's guess, but of course, the key element, Jimmy, is the first time an Arab party, an Arab political party, is in the government, the four-seat United Arab List, Mansour Abbas heading that. Now, he's head of the Islamic uh, Union, and uh, people say, how in the world can he sit with the Orthodox Jew as prime minister? But personally, he's pretty moderate. He's from a Druze village in the north of Israel, near the Sea of Galilee. He's definitely not a radical like some of the Arab Knesset members are. But still, Hamas is already complaining about him joining and supporting Bennett. Uh, It's just so unlikely to hold together, Jimmy. So they're trying to avoid a new round of elections. But anybody's guess whether that will really uh, be possible. That is absolute, and I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, neither is David Dolan, but both of us don't think this government is going to be in place if it does become a government voted by the Knesset, and it won't be in place very long, I do not believe. Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu is still in charge as of today. He made an interesting statement this week. He said prevention of an Iranian nuke is more crucial than even a relationship with the United States. Now, I would agree with that. Netanyahu said it. What do you think about it, David? Well, Jimmy, the opposition uh, to him complained about that statement, and especially his defense minister, Benny Gantz, who was in Washington this week meeting with top U.S. officials, including the defense secretary and others. He didn't meet with Joe Biden, but he has in the past and knows him. And he will remain as defense minister. Now, he has a pretty tough line on Iran as well. But he criticized the prime minister for saying that out loud. He said, my approach is to talk behind the scenes, not to insult our ally in any way. We need their support. And uh, the incoming, apparently, Prime Minister Bennett echoed that, Jimmy, saying, uh, again, he's very much opposed to the nuclear deal being resurrected. He basically takes the same exact position as Netanyahu on Iran, but he said he would be a little more circumspect in the way he spoke to the United States. But he did reiterate, Jimmy, that Israel has to act whatever the world says, he said. Uh, We have to act if we feel we have to act. So the possibility of a surprise attack by the Israelis on Iran's nuclear program remains uh, very strong. But again, would this a small Arab party support it? You know, would the left-wing parties, the Jewish parties support it? Anybody's guess, it's really a muddle. David, there's supposedly a ceasefire in place between Israel and basically Hamas. However, Hamas on Friday called for a day of rage, and not only in the Gaza Strip, but in the West Bank. That doesn't sound like they want to continue that ceasefire, does it? No, Jimmy, and they also put out a statement very strongly condemning Naftali Bennett 
and saying that if he's prime minister, we consider Netanyahu still sitting in that chair. And there's no chance that Hamas is going to change its warlike attitude. I think they want to see a new uprising continue and will work for that. There's a lot of speculation in the Israeli press that the coalition coming into power with an Arab party and a right-wing uh, prime minister, etc., will bring more unity in Israel, will maybe stop the internal fighting that's been going on between Arabs and Jews in Israeli cities. These are all Israeli citizens, but that's uh, certainly not going to be the case in terms of Hamas. They're going to keep pushing the war effort, and uh, I'm sure there'll be many Israeli Arabs that will respond to that as well. And David, to confirm that, Hamas said this week they promise more jihad stabbings and fires trying to burn the state of Israel down. They say this 11-day event that took place, Israel fighting Hamas, was simply a dress rehearsal for things to come. That doesn't sound good, does it? No, it doesn't, but we have a pretty strong defense minister in Benny Gantz, he has had that role, and of course, Naftali Bennett was also defense minister for a time. But um, yes, Hamas is going to continue its holy war, uh, Jimmy. They don't care what Israeli government is in power, uh, the fact that Israel exists, the fact that Israel controls the Temple Mount in Jerusalem for the most part, and Tel Aviv and Haifa and all these other areas. That's the bottom line issue for them. A Jewish state cannot exist. Jews cannot rule over Muslims, as the Quran states, so they're being accurate in that sentiment, and uh, they're going to continue their uh, jihad war for sure. And Iran's going to make sure that does happen. Looks like the Iranians are rearming Hamas with thousands of new rockets so that they can attack Israel in the near future. That does not sound good. No, Jimmy, and again, they're backed by Hezbollah, which has maybe ten times the number of rockets that Hamas has, and they have far more precision-guided rockets. And Iran, of course, has drones and weapons all over the place. So this thing is definitely not over. They feel they can destroy Israel at a certain point. They would have rather done it under Netanyahu because they hate him so much, but they don't like Bennett either or Gantz. And Gantz, by the way, while in Washington, he asked for a resupply of the uh, Iron Dome missiles that uh, take out those rockets, and it looks like the Biden administration is going to support that call. So that was good news. David, you've been a longtime journalist in the Middle East. We've seen Netanyahu for 12 years. He's been the prime minister, and I think three years before that, he was also prime minister, a total of 15 years as prime minister of Israel, the longest-serving prime minister in the state of Israel in their short history. Why do you think everybody hates him? It looks like the enemies of Israel hate him. Those inside the body politic, they hate him. What's wrong with Netanyahu that everybody seems to hate him? Well, I wouldn't put it that strongly, Jimmy. I mean, certainly the Likud party supporters, he got 30 seats, like I said, one-fourth of the Knesset this last election, and usually gets around that. And he has a lot of support in the religious parties, for sure. They're not going to be in the coalition for the first time in a long time, and they're upset over that. So I would say roughly half the people do support him and do back him. But he's uh, been prime minister a long time, so you can make a lot of enemies. He's outspoken. And also, of course, he has these legal issues being charged with some crimes. 
So you put all that together, and, uh, you know, it's just enough that these people could come together. But really, Jimmy, these eight parties, the only thing they share in common is animosity towards Netanyahu. They differ on almost everything else. So, you know, once he's out of the way, he's going to be opposition leader, like I said, but once he's no longer prime minister... Will that be enough glue to hold them together? That's the question. So I would say that we might be saying BB is back before too long. <laughs> I would suggest that because I do not believe hate can form a coalition and keep it together. Well, whatever the case, we'll stay on top of it with David Dolan, our broadcast partner who covers the Middle East for us. He's done that for over 30 years. And David, Always great to be able to talk with you, get your insight into all that's going on there in Israel. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad, we're going to continue our discussion on the new coalition government, if it does come in place, with Winky. He's a political guru of type, and we'll enjoy talking with him. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here in Mullins, South Carolina. We're here to be at the First Baptist Church all day Sunday and then on Monday evening. The service is 10.15 Sunday morning, 6 o'clock in the evening, and then an hour before that we'll have a Prophecy Q&A on Monday 6.30, so Prophecy Q&A at 5.30. Love to have you come, First Baptist Church, Mullins, South Carolina. Now, as promised, and the lead story, as we report news from around the world, has to be the election process, the possibility of a formation of a coalition government in Israel. We're going to bring Winky Madad to this broadcast table to give us as many details as he possibly can. But, Winky, let's go positive before we go negative. Looks like there's been one election that was successful. Isaac Herzog has been elected as president. Talk to us about what the president's duties are, and, in fact, give us some details about this man recently elected as president of Israel. Well, in the early years of the state, Jimmy, the president was uh, basically a figurehead and dealt with some ceremonial issues, issues of culture, 
welcoming workshops in uh, in dance and in art and other forms of the life, uh, literary personalities. I don't want to demean the early presidents that are sort of something like the president's wife. You know, she would go around and deal with schools and visit and the sick and even sports maybe and stuff like that, fashion later on. And that was the original intent of the president because more historical, we had Chaim Weitzman, who was the president of the World Zionist Organization back in 1948. And Ben-Gurion didn't want him anywhere in Israeli politics. So they said, let's have him as president again and put him off in the corner. But uh, actually, ever since uh, Aza Weitzman and then Shimon Peres, the presidents have really been into political uh, and even diplomatic issues. And sometimes the prime ministers, notably Benjamin Netanyahu, have used them to go abroad to various countries where he knows he's not, shall we say, the best friend of everybody, and make the case for Israel, because these presidents, especially Shimon Peres, as we all know, came from the opposite political spectrum, had more of a uh, in, shall we say, with some of the other different political figures that Israel has to deal with. Winky, talk to me then about the man, the personality, who is now the 11th president of the State of Israel. Well, Yitzhak, or Isaac Herzog, whose nickname is Bougie, how he got it, I do not know, Jimmy, but you know this country, everybody from BB on down has a nickname. He is the grandson of the second chief rabbi of pre-state Israel and then the early years of the state. Uh, He actually came from uh, Ireland. His son, Bougie's father, Vivian, or Chaim Herzog, was in the British Army during World War II and then became a high-ranking officer in the Israel Army, went into politics, was a member of Knesset, and he was also a president of the state of Israel. So you're talking very uh, much of a dynasty here of almost the elite of the early European immigrants here in the state of Israel. That's the Herzog family. And as you said just a moment ago, one of his responsibilities is to appoint the leader of a political party who believes he can put together a coalition government. Reuven Rivlin, who is the outgoing president, the last major decision he made was selecting Yair Lapid to form that government after Netanyahu could not put one together and the 28-day mandate given to him. Well, at the last moment on Wednesday evening, Lapid was able to call the president that I think I have a coalition that can come together. However, that coalition basically was based on hate of one man, Netanyahu. Can you form a coalition government, and will it last if it's basically based on hate? Jimmy, you might not remember, but I do. Maybe uh, half a dozen years ago, you asked me a similar question in another political crisis, and I pointed out that sometimes the glue that holds a coalition together, no matter how diffuse and how, how different they are one from another, is the fear of going to elections or losing their jobs, and that keeps them together. 
So as a political commentator, I have to be fair and say that one option is that despite the irrational, <laughs> extreme differences of opinion between the various members of the coalition and the fact that so many of them have less than 10 seats each, which makes it a very splintered type of a government, the possibility exists that they can get along. I don't think so, because the pressures that they are under, both internally in terms of Israel politics and externally in terms of peace with, uh, or the non-peace, should I say, with Iran, and the terror fight with the Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, I think these pressures are too much because they're very, very bipolar, to borrow a psychological term. You have Mr. Naftali Bennett and Gidon Saar, who are, at least up until the moment, extremely pro-Jewish residency in Judea and Samaria. And you have the Labor Party and the Merits Party that are extremely against Jewish residency in Judea and Samaria, and you now have a coalition partner for the first time, officially, of an Arab party that is very extreme in its Islamic orientation, although its main claim to fame is to better economically the Arabs, Arab citizens in the state of Israel. You know, this begs a question, what happened to... For example, Naftali Bennett, who is probably one of the most conservative right-wing politicians in the state of Israel. And by the way, if he does become the prime minister, which is set in place, if the Knesset approves this particular coalition government, he would be the first religious Jew to be prime minister of Israel. But what makes him go against his principles, his statements in the past? I don't understand it. Does he just want to be prime minister so bad that he would fall away from his principles? Jimmy, uh, now we, you and I, and the listeners listening in, are moving into the field of political psychology. I would have to say that I think it would be naive for Mr. Bennett to believe that he can fulfill even 50% of his own personal ideology. And in making friendship, and then a coalition with Mr. Lapid, he has simply chosen a different agenda issue. I am bringing the country back together after a turbulent, divisive prime minister who has been unable to unite the country, etc., etc., and as the best script writer could write the speech, perhaps better than me if I had another five minutes to sit down, uh, that would be his approach. Uh, sort of saving Israel from crumbling in as he made his speech on Sunday uh, evening last. Do I believe that he believes all this? No. <laughs> I would say he wants to be prime minister. And then again, it begs the question, you have seven seats, you want to be prime minister? What, what? Your political program was rejected. You, as a personal candidate, along with Ayelet Shacha, were personally rejected by uh, over 80% of the population. How can you become prime minister? Well, that's one of the faults of Israel's political system, in which you need 61, and never has one party gotten that 
plurality and has always had to search for coalition partners. Winky, I understand that the Knesset has to make the final vote and decision as to whether this coalition will be the next government or not. I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Uh, could something change in the next week or two before the Knesset does make that final vote and bring Bibi Netanyahu back to power? Uh, yes. Already we see a little bit of a movement uh, uh, with two members of the Amina party, to the right, as it translates from the Hebrew, that's Naftali Bennett's party, uh, who already removed their signatures from a request to elect a new Speaker of the Knesset. Now, I won't go into the details of how important or not important this, the, the position is. It is important. But the indication was that if the party had handed in all their signatures and these two took them back, it means that they have a difference of opinion. How far that difference will go, I don't know. I can tell you that at the end of uh, this current week, when one of those members of Knesset came to meet with Naftali Bennett, he brought his wife along. Now, uh, some people listening to us, Jimmy, may raise eyebrows, you know, you never bring a partner uh, your, or your spouse into a political meeting, but this is Israel, and it's family, and children have to go to school, and they look to the father or the husband, and what are you doing? Is this really your political, ideological, faith belief, or are you just simply looking to be famous? These things work here in Israel. They have done in the past on both directions, I may add. And so, who knows, when next we speak, Jimmy, if everybody stays together in that coalition, or we have some people pulling away. And the only other alternative would be a fifth election, which nobody in Israel really wants, correct? Jimmy, I am not the son or grandson of a prophet. But, Jimmy, neither of us know really how close a fifth election is it will be probably, in my estimation, within a year to a year and a half. Well, I would suggest you are right on target, maybe even sooner. We'll have to wait and see. And when we do see that happen, we'll be coming back to Winky Madad to give us his insight into what is going on. Winky, thank you so very much. Great information you've given us. We'll watch and see what happens. And I'll have to talk to you along the way to keep reporting on it. Thank you again for your insight today. Jimmy, thank you again for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, right now we're going to change regions of the world from the Middle East, from Israel, to the European Union, a key region of the world which will assist us in understanding how the prophetic scenario of God's Word is coming into place. John Rood, the man who does that for us, we both are prophecy teachers, believing that the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. And John, I understand the European Union plans digital ID wallets post-pandemic life in the European Union. Can you talk to us about that? This is really a major development, and it fits the pattern that we've seen the EU usually has a great deal of things that are on the back burner, 
and then uh, certain instances can be used as a pretext. We saw that what had been planned uh, during 9-11, probably 10 years of planning came out quickly to be implemented. So now, as you've used this expression, post-pandemic life, the EU has come out with a very extensive plan. The deeper I look into it, it's much more than the initial impression that uh, simply we're going to have a digital identity wallet that can store some of the identification and uh, documents for a person. And typical to form, it's being brought out that this is the type of thing that can help you rent a car. You don't have to take out your driver's license or whatever, opening a bank account. But it's also something that would be used to access Google or Facebook. Everything would go through the EU. It's not just a digital passport. It's really a digital identity. It goes way, way beyond anything possibly necessary for a post-pandemic life. And, for example, yellow fever cards. 30 countries require some type of card for showing inoculation for yellow fever. You take the shot every 10 years. You carry the card with you. I've used it. A COVID shot could simply be added to that card. But instead, this is uh, taking a turn to a complete digital identity, and it's confirmed that it's a plan to be accessed by biometric data, such as a fingerprint or a retina scan. Wow, John, sounds to me much like a precursor to the mark of the beast. Now, that's not going to be today, because the mark of the beast does not come in play until the midway point of the tribulation, but this is preparing people for that. Another thought, what about the fact that Russia is rattling its sabers and announcing a troop buildup at NATO's frontier, NATO for the purpose of protecting the EU from Russia? What can you tell us on this? Russia is focusing on the NATO uh, military exercises, which are the largest in Europe for a few decades. In response, they're feeling that they need to move 20 military units to this eastern district, which is the border with Ukraine, Belarus, and the uh, Baltic states. Russia is planning war games with Belarus. NATO is having Ukraine join their joint exercises. But we have to remember that this response that's going back and forth really initially goes back to the fact that Ukraine, Russia has massed tens of thousands of troops on Ukraine, not to mention the Ukrainian war that was in previous years as well. So there is a buildup. Russia obviously has feeling some, some pressure from NATO. NATO, the Secretary General, says they're ready and they're willing to defend their allies. Only a couple of issues that we deal with today, but both of them very key and indicating there is activity that would set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That news coming from the European Union and our broadcast partner, John Rood. John, thank you. Boy, very important information you've given us today. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Right now, I'm going to bring Colonel Bob McGinnis to this broadcast table. Bob was a longtime broadcast partner with us, then uh, took a leave of absence, uh, using a military term. Bob working at the Pentagon in the area of strategic planning, traveling across the country and around the world on behalf of the Pentagon. 
And Bob, you sent a note to many of us who are in the media about the social engineering that seemingly is going on at the Pentagon. Now, am I correct in making that statement? And is that observation that you are giving us correct at this time? Well, that's correct, Jimmy. There are a number of issues, uh, whether it has to do with targeting people, so-called extremists, or uh, promoting transgenders, or this whole critical race theory and woke policies that are inundating our armed forces. There's quite a a stir-up of opinion on both sides, and arguably it is really undermining uh, the effectiveness of our armed forces. Well, in light of that, let me just take a moment for our listeners and give a little bit of history going back to President Clinton at a time when President Clinton would allow homosexuals to serve in the service. That was the time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which you played a key role in as well. But he began this social engineering, did he not? Well, in fact, uh, Bill Clinton did. Uh, Of course, in the summer of 1992, he announced that he was going to throw open the doors of the Pentagon and welcome open homosexual service. And, in fact, uh, when he was sworn in in January of uh, 1993, uh, he went about that process. And, of course, uh, a lot of us pushed back. I was on the committee that wrote Don't Ask, Don't Tell. It was a compromise. And, of course, you know, that... You know, was followed up uh, years later by Barack Obama, who uh, basically eliminated uh, any uh, prohibition against homosexuals. And, of course, here recently we've seen that uh, President Biden has thrown open the doors to open transsexual, uh, transgender uh, service. Uh, and every move of the social engineering agenda by the, the leftists, I would argue Marxists, uh, in the military undermines the effectiveness and the readiness of the force. But uh, that's something we've come to expect from American uh, progressives or socialists or Marxists, whatever you want to call them. Well, and thinking about Obama just for a moment before we pass over his history, not only did he get involved with what you reported, but he allowed for women to go into ground combat as well which indeed, to some extent, made us the laughingstock of both Beijing, China, and Moscow, Russia. Uh, They don't believe that that's an appropriate move, but Obama did, and they moved ahead, and that's not really enhanced the military capability of our armed services, has it? Not at all. Uh, And in fact, of course, I was very much involved in in pushing back against that process. I wrote a book, uh, Deadly Consequences, how cowards are pushing women into combat. And, of course, that was at the time of Barack Obama. And they lifted all the barriers for women in any position, whether it be a ground combat position or elsewhere. Uh, The adversaries that we have in the world, whether they be the Russians, the Chinese, North Koreans, Iranians, and others, uh, do not follow the prescription used by the leftists that have been, you know, guiding the social engineering of the Pentagon uh, they they laugh at us, uh, this wokeness that has permeated the senior leadership, not only in the White House but in the ranks of the military, uh, is weakening our ability to be prepared to face down some of the toughest adversaries in the world. Uh, so this is gravely disappointing, but it's something that we've come to expect. And then, of course, after January 6th, the storming of the Capitol, 
Joe Biden's radical appointees there at the Pentagon redefine the phrase extremism, and they were involved in trying to ferret out what they considered any extremists in the armed services. Now, this is not a good move either, is it? No, not at all. Lloyd Austin, who, of course, graduated a couple of years after me from West Point, uh, is now the Secretary of Defense, and he uh, called for a stand-down across the military so that everyone in the armed forces would go through a review of what the regulations say about extremism. And, you know, I participated in that training. It was a reminder that our loyalties are to the United States government and the commander-in-chief and the like. But what, what has happened here recently is that they are considering you know, redefining uh, what extremism is. They're looking at you know, establishing a mechanism to track every person's social media to find out whether or not they make statements that uh, the leftists in the Pentagon would define as extreme. Uh, and I suspect that anyone such as uh, some of us that speak out against Marxism and leftism and you know, the homosexual agenda and pushing women into ground combat uh, are going to be marked and identified as extremists and therefore not suitable, according to their leftist views, uh, to serve in the armed forces of today. I remember my days in the United States Air Force, and on the bases where I would be stationed, I had a great friend in the chaplain there in that base because I was involved in Christian outreach, etc. However, now, Bob, I understand that true Bible-believing, born-again chaplains are actually coming under attack as well. Can you speak to that issue? Well, there, there are certainly some chaplains that are beginning to advocate or mandate uh, the requirement for all chaplains to uh, get behind the radical homosexual agenda in the armed forces. In other words, if your endorser's stance as, say, a Southern Baptist or whatever church you're from says that you are not to perform homosexual marriage, uh, what some of these chaplains uh, say is, well, that, that has no place in the armed forces. You're supposed to serve every soldier. So if we invite uh, and endorse transgenders and open you know, bisexual people or lesbians or whatever, uh, then whatever ministry requirement they have, whether it's some sort of church ordinance, uh, such as baptism or certainly marriage and so forth, counseling, uh, that you're supposed to not only in, endorse their lifestyle, uh, but you're supposed to perform whatever service they're asking you to perform. And the argument is that uh, this is something that's expected. If you're going to follow what Lloyd Austin has called for uh, to support all soldiers and to endorse the all-inclusive LGBTQI plus uh, family in the armed forces today, which is, of course, the, the homosexual leftist radical agenda, then uh, if you can't do that, then you should leave. Now, they haven't done, you know, they aren't forcing chaplains out as, as yet, but there's certainly a movement in that direction, and I suspect uh, that can't be too far behind. Bob, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to agree or disagree with my statement. Looks like the American armed forces are going to be politically correct. 
but very hollow as a military force to defend the United States. Your thoughts? No, that's correct, Jimmy. They're hollowing it out of people's best, uh, religious and conservative views and replacing it as best as these leftists think uh, with people that, quite frankly, don't tend to embrace conservative or patriotic views and will be a hollow force. Uh, our enemies understand that full well, uh, and they're laughing all the way as we drain our ability to, to fight. You know, it's interesting. I was reading a, a study that was put out by the, the RAND Corporation, which tends to be uh, leftist, but one that's hired frequently for research by uh, the uh, Pentagon. And they did a survey that found that the sexual assault in the military, that 52% of all current sexual assault is perpetrated on men. So you have a lot of homosexual sexual assaults that are taking place in the armed forces at an inordinate level, if this report is correct. Colonel Bob McGinnis talking to us about the changes in the United States military and their mission to protect the United States of America from harm outside coming in to try to destroy the United States. Not a good report from Bob, but a report that is very truthful. Bob, thank you for your insight, your input. Appreciate it so much. We'll have another conversation down the road. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner. We're going to talk with David James about atheists. How do you reach out with the message of the gospel to an atheist? It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is our last half hour. It will give me 90 minutes, an opportunity to allow my broadcast partners to explain current events in light of biblical prophecy. So glad you stayed with us. David James standing by will talk about atheist and atheism. want you to answer our poll question. It deals with this same issue. It's on the left-hand column on the home page. If you'll scroll down, you'll find the question. Here it is. Do you believe it is impossible to truly be an atheist if you stop to observe God's glory made manifest in the heavens and the majesty of his creation on earth? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. And if you live in the Mullins, South Carolina area, we're looking forward to meeting you at the First Baptist Church in Mullins, South Carolina, Sunday morning, 10:15, 6 p.m. in the evening, and on Monday evening, 6.30, with a prophecy Q&A time before each of the evening services. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I, on a weekly basis, get together and have a conversation right here on Prophecy Today weekend that will focus on an issue that the body of Christ needs to have a biblical understanding of, prophetic understanding as well. And we've heard from you that you appreciate these conversations. So we set aside this portion of the broadcast to do exactly that. 
topic this week, From Atheism to Faith in Christ, A Genuine Ministry Opportunity. We'll get to that in a moment. But David, our listener question for this week is a follow-up to a discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago concerning women in ministry. And it is a great question. Talk to us about this question. You're right, Jimmy. It's a great question. Uh, This is what he wrote. I have a question from Saturday, May 29th, meaning the broadcast on that day, about women preachers. Acts 2, verse 17 speaks about, in the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. In regards to the qualifications God has given, how will the daughters prophesy? So, Jimmy, that discussion he's referring to was about two women being ordained as pastors by Saddleback Church, where Rick Warren is the senior pastor. And we talked about 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And then Paul gives two reasons, one being the order of creation, and the second being that Eve was deceived at the fall, and we could say that Satan used a theological deception on her. And I think Paul refers to that because it's in the flow of his discussion about false teachers that starts in chapter 1, and it leads to the need for spiritual leaders in the Church to be able to teach as a qualification Uh, meaning that they know right doctrine, and that is found in chapter 3. And we also need to remember that in Acts 2, Peter is quoting from Joel chapter 2, and that context is the final day of the Lord's judgment, which is during Daniel's 70th week, after the rapture, and so after the church age. Paul is talking about how things are to be done in the context of the local church. So this is a different context than Joel is talking about, Uh, which is what will be happening in the world as God, again, deals directly with Israel and the nation. So I think that's probably a reason why there's a difference. That's great to help our listener understand his answer to his question. Appreciate that, David. Well, this week we're going to be dealing with a subject I don't think we've discussed it much before, and that is atheism and atheists who have actually become believers in Christ. And then we want to also discuss how we might minister to those who claim to be atheists. Right, Jimmy, and what got us thinking about this topic was an article we ran across on ChristianHeadlines.com about a man in Kenya who was a member of an atheist organization who recently announced that he had come to faith in Christ. And the title of that article was, Atheist Society Official Becomes a Christian, Resigns Position, and they quote him saying, I'm so happy to be here. And the article went on to say, a high-ranking official in a Kenyan atheist organization said Saturday he had accepted Christ and had resigned from his position because he no longer wanted to promote atheism in the country. And then the atheists in Kenya society reported on their website, this evening, regretfully, the secretary of the atheist in Kenya society, Mr. Seth Mahiga, informed me that he has made the decision to resign from his position as secretary of the society. And then that press release continued with, Seth's reason for resigning is that he has found Jesus Christ and is no longer interested in promoting atheism in Kenya. We wish Seth all the best in his newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jimmy, I thought it was interesting that they referred to having a relationship with Christ as if it were a real thing. Uh, And then on Monday, that group tweeted, remember that it is only when people are free to think for themselves, using reason as their guide, that they are best capable of developing values that succeed 
in satisfying human needs and serving human interests. So this is an argument we often hear, Jimmy, that those who believe in God just can't think for themselves. Well, I think it is because they think for themselves that conversion can, in actuality, take place. David, I don't want us to get too deep into the philosophical weeds on this subject, but isn't it true that there are different types of atheism? Yeah, that's right, Jimmy. There are, and I'm not sure everyone realizes that. First, theism is simply the belief that at least one God exists, but it doesn't necessarily mean uh, the God of the Bible. And the vast majority of people in the world do believe in a God or gods, but know little, if anything, about the true God of the Bible. And atheism is the opposite of theism, and so it's the absence of belief in any deities whatsoever. There are two broad categories of atheism, positive or strong atheism, and the other being negative or weak atheism. The weak atheist doesn't believe in any deities, but he doesn't make any explicit assertions that God doesn't exist. And there's really not much difference between this and being agnostic, which simply means that someone doesn't know. And on the other hand, the strong atheist goes beyond this and would claim to know with certainty that no gods exist. And a more recent development within the strong atheist camp is what I would call militant atheism. You know, in the past, atheists tended to be content to live and let live and not go on the offensive to try to persuade others of their views. But more recently, men like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens have tried to lead a militant crusade against theism in any form because they and those like them see religion as the root of all evil in the world. You know, David, often we hear reports of outspoken or high-profile atheists who have abandoned atheism and have become believers in Jesus Christ. What can you tell us about a few of the more well-known atheists who have come to know Christ? Well, of course, Jimmy, there are many we could talk about, and of course we wouldn't necessarily agree with the theology of everyone I could mention. And some of them didn't come to necessarily faith in Christ, but they did move from atheism to theism. One of the most well-known in pop culture might be Kirk Cameron. Uh, He was an atheist in his teens, but became a born-again believer at age 17 at the height of his success on television, and now he has a high-profile ministry. Uh, Francis Collins, who is the director of the National Institutes of Health and worked on the Genome Project, he was an atheist through grad school but became a believer in part because of the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, who was also an atheist at one time. Then there's Lee Strobel, uh, and he's well known for his books, uh, starting with The Case for Christ. He was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers, and after his wife became a believer, he began investigating the claims of Christianity and came to faith. Kirsten Powers, she was a Fox News contributor at one time, and she had become an atheist as a young adult, and then she says she had a conversion experience in her 30s that changed her life completely. Uh, Unfortunately, she did convert to Catholicism in 2015, but... Uh, you know, we trust the Lord for the results of, of her faith in Christ. Then there's Anthony Flew, who was an outspoken atheist philosopher and a signatory of the Humanist Manifesto. In 2004, in his late 70s, before he died, he changed his views and embraced intelligent design on scientific grounds, although I doubt that he actually became a born-again believer. And I mentioned earlier the militant atheist Christopher Hitchens, And he and his brother Peter grew up in the Anglican Church, and both of them became atheists. 
However, Peter later came to believe in God again, and there are credible reports that I've read that shortly before he died of cancer, Christopher was reevaluating his stance against Christianity. You know, David, these conversions away from atheism raise the question of why some who claim to be atheists change their minds and start believing that God does exist, and some even become born-again believers. Well, Jimmy, I think that what you just said is very important in this discussion, and that's that people claim to be atheists. But there's a world of difference between someone who claims to be an atheist and someone who really is an atheist. You know, shortly after I was saved back in 1984, our our pastor was teaching from Romans chapter 1, and he made a statement that has stuck with me ever since. He said that there's no true atheist. There are only those who claim to be atheists who are denying what they know to be true. And that's exactly what we find in Romans 1 and 2. Everyone knows down in their heart that there is a God from both creation and conscience. And concerning why some change their minds, you know, I've read various uh, accounts of the circumstances, and I actually put this question out on my Facebook page for anyone who had claimed to be an atheist before coming to faith in Christ, and there seem to be a couple of common themes uh, that tend to cover the majority of the conversions. Uh, The first is some sort of major life crisis, like the death of a loved one or a serious health problem where they're faced with their own mortality, or they hit rock bottom with some type of addiction or losing everything financially. And then the other is that some started to think through it seriously and objectively by investigating the Bible and some combination of history, science, and philosophy and realized that they just couldn't deny God's existence any longer. David, what do you think are some important things to keep in mind when it comes to interacting with those who say that they are atheists? Well, Jimmy, I think perhaps the most important thing to remember is the Holy Spirit is the only one who can affect change in someone, and we're not the Holy Spirit, and honestly, that's a good thing. And my point is that we don't need to think that we, uh, if we can't answer every objection an atheist might have on historical or scientific or philosophical grounds, uh, then we can't have a ministry in their lives. We can. In Romans one sixteen, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. And, you know, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts someone of the truth. Uh, in Romans 10.17, which I think I quoted last week, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And in this spiritual battle, we read in Ephesians six seventeen about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and along with this, Peter says in 1 Peter three fifteen, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And that word for defense is the Greek word apologia, from which we get the word apologetics, which is the defense of the faith. So while the results don't depend on us, being knowledgeable in different areas is something the Lord can use. And then I would just add this. Prayer, love, humility, and consistency in the Christian walk are extremely important because the perceived hateful spirit or pride and hypocrisy among Christians are all excuses that are frequently used by the lost to justify themselves and their own thinking and lifestyle. David, those are some great points. And Maybe you might want to re-listen to them out there, friends. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and you can re-listen to this conversation. By the way, 
uh, one of the approaches I have made to atheists, I ask them, I say, well, you don't believe there's a God, right? And they say, absolutely, there is no God. I say, well, then why would you be anti-God if there is no God? That starts a conversation, and it's maybe a neat way to get into it. But do it with love. That is so key. David, it's a discussion that we needed to have, and I want to thank you for bringing this to my attention. Always, we have a great opportunity to talk about issues confronting the body of Christ with biblical information. Thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Great, Jimmy. I enjoyed it. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll take all the information gleaned from our broadcast partners, and we'll open the Bible and take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend this week, We actually went around the world to contact our broadcast partners so that they could give us details on the main news stories happening at this time. These news stories revealing how God's prophetic scenario is coming into place each and every day. These reports will not be heard on mainstream media because those journalists do not have a proper biblical world view. 
after I rehearse the lead stories for each of my broadcast partners. Then I will give you my prophetic perspective on the news. However, before my prophetic perspective, let me remind you that if you had to miss any of my conversations with my broadcast partners, you can go to prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's on the right-hand column on the home page. There you can listen to the reports that you had to miss. Please be sure to tell a friend about these reports. Again, that's prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now let me give you my prophetic perspective on the news this week. Ken Timmerman's main story was about China making preparations for a nuclear war with America. It does seem like the Cold War between America and China is heating up. With America not mentioned in Bible prophecy, we cannot predict that a nuclear war between these two, the United States and China, will actually take place. However, we can predict that China will be a major player in the end times as foretold in Bible prophecy. Last Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, China, one of the kings of the East, which will partner with the Antichrist in the last days. That's Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. David Dolan came to the broadcast table with his Middle East News update, a key report for each of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And David discussed with me the most unlikely coalition government in the history of Israel. There is actually never a dull moment in Israeli politics. The proposed coalition government is evidence that is the case. You have a left-wing liberal political leader coupled with the most far-right conservative leader and an Arab leader with his political party as well in this coalition. That does not sound like an Israeli government, but it is. Winky Madad went more in-depth with his analysis of the political situation in Israel. Remember, politics is the art of administering human government. Politicians are the ones that do that work. Both politics and politicians are key to seeing God's plan for the future unfold. That's Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. John Rood, who covers the European Union for us, told us of the plans for a digital wallet post-pandemic in the European Union. This EU plan does surely sound like the mark of the beast, Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. However, that is not the case because we are not in the tribulation period. And that's when the mark of the beast 
comes into play. Colonel Bob McGinnis, who works at the Pentagon, said that the Pentagon now is more focused on social engineering than preparing for war. You know, God's plan for human government is to direct mankind in the direction that he wants them to go to fulfill his will. That's Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. That means that human government may use its military to accomplish his will, not for social engineering, but instead to defend each and every nation. David James came and we had a discussion this week about atheist and atheism. You know, I believe that the best evidence for the truth about the reality of a true, almighty, perfect, holy God is God's creation as displayed in the heavens and on the earth. And as we go to Psalm 19, we see that the glory of the Lord is made manifest in the heavenlies and his majesty on the earth as we observe his creative acts. You know, the problem is sometimes we do not stop to smell the roses. The reality of a true, perfect, holy God made available to us in his creation. And by the way, prophecy also is a key to the evidence that there is a God who is in charge of everything today. Let me remind you that if you had to miss any of my conversations with my broadcast partners, you can go to prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you can listen to the reports that you had to miss. Please be sure to tell a friend about these reports. You know, each and every one of the conversations with my broadcast partners became tangible evidence that God's prophetic scenario is better in place today than it's ever been before. Remember, the next event on God's calendar of prophetic activities is the rapture, and that event actually could happen at any moment. In fact, it could happen today. So therefore, having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.